Sam. I'm Tim. I'm Tara. I'm Lena. And our first scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Our second reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke through the prophets to our ancestors in many times and many ways. In these final days, though, he spoke to us through a son. God made his son the heir of everything and created the world through him. The son is the light of God's glory and the imprint of God's being. He maintains everything with his powerful message. After he carried out the cleansing of people from their sins, he sat down at the right side of the highest majesty. Merry Christmas, everybody. Well, it's not easy in these times, keeping our focus in this season of Advent. Advent is supposed to be a time of preparation so that when we come to Christmas Day, we can truly celebrate the Christ child that's come into our world. But we have a lot of things going on right now. Traditions are interrupted. Spiritual celebrations are shut down. And it's just hard to feel that Christmas spirit right now. It's easy to get focused on what we're missing out on instead of focusing on the reality that the gift of Jesus is here for us always and especially in this season. So to help us keep that focus, we're going to focus on one word today. We've been trying to hit on this each Sunday in Advent, and that word is incarnation. Can you say that with me? Incarnation. It's a big theological word. It's simply the belief that God has come to us in the person of Jesus, who was born into the flesh, just like you and I, and walked this earth, experienced what we experienced, and offered a living presentation of the sacrificial love of God that would transform our world and hopefully our lives. And nothing proclaims that better than the phrase that's used in this passage from Matthew that we just heard that's quoting from the prophet Isaiah in the seventh chapter that names that child as Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what's Matthew trying to get across? Because Emmanuel is a name that's only given to Jesus in this one passage. We don't find anywhere else in, the, in all the scriptures in which Jesus is named Emmanuel. So what's Matthew trying to say to us? So let me share a little bit of Old Testament history with you to help this come alive for you. And before I do that, I need to explain how biblical prophecy operates. Uh, it's probably one of the most misunderstood areas of the Bible that we have because most of the time when we hear the word prophecy, we assume that means predicting the future and often the distant future. And sometimes people use like the book of Revelation to talk about predicting what may happen now in our time. 
But biblical prophecy, especially as it's experienced in the Old Testament prophets, is much like what a pastor who is brave does in these times in which we read the times as we see them. And we try to proclaim what we see happening through God's eyes. And that's what the biblical prophets did. They'd look at the political circumstances. They would read the moral uh, and social climate of the world in which they were in at that time. And they'd call out things for what they were. They would speak the truth, sharing God's perspective on it all. The writer of Matthew, in our passage, is quoting from Isaiah chapter 7 and shares the words of the prophet Isaiah. He's talking about something that happened 735 years before Jesus walked this earth. And at that point in history, we had some historical circumstances going on in which the nation of Israel was now divided into two countries. So we had the country of Judah, which we'll let the choir be today, and you, you get the great city of Jerusalem, so you have that going for you. We'll let you be the nation of Israel. Your capital is Samaria. And sometimes the two kingdoms got along. They separated because the northern kingdom wouldn't accept Rehoboam, who was King Solomon's son, as their king. Sometimes they got along, sometimes they did not. And what we read about in Isaiah chapter 7 was a time when they did not get along. In those days, as this passage suggests, King Ahaz, who was the head of Judah, and Aram's king Rezin, and Israel's king Pekah, came up to attack Jerusalem. They always said up because Jerusalem was considered high and holy, even though they were going south. Their goal was to try to supplant King Ahaz and put in place their own king that would get along with their plans because what they wanted to do was to gang up and try to expel the the oppressive power of the empire of Assyria, which was the reigning power in that region at that time. Fortunately, King Ahaz was smart enough to know that that is something he didn't want a part of, but he still feared what Aram and Israel would do to him and his kingdom. And that's when God sent along the prophet Isaiah, and he came with a message of hope, And the message was that Aram and Israel, that those two kings would become like two smoldering stumps, including their nations. God would not let them harm Ahaz as long as he stand firm in his faith. And the promise was given to them. A young woman who is with child and shall bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel. And in this original context, the promise is referring to a young woman of Ahaz's time. Perhaps it was a new bride of King Ahaz, or it might have been a wife that Isaiah was married to. But either way, the child is carrying, is, is carrying that visible sign that God is going to put an end to this threat of those two kings. That yet-to-be-born baby was a sign that life would go on. And so this passage reads, Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman is pregnant and is about to give birth to a son and shall name him Emmanuel. And that prophecy came true. Just two to three years later when that child was about that age, Assyria came down from the northeast and it 
took several people from the nation of Israel as well as Aram. Ten years later, in 722 B.C., the Assyrian army came in and totally destroyed the nation of Israel, and it ceased to exist as a nation until it became one again after World War II. That prophecy of two smoldering stumps became true for both Aram and Israel. And that child, Emmanuel, whose name meant God is with us, was God's promise to Ahaz that God was with him. And from then on, those prophets' words were provided to offer hope for the people of not only his day, but every generation of Jews that followed Isaiah's time looked at those words in the light of their own time. And they heard of them a picture of how God might work in their time as well. The early Christians, they read Isaiah in this way. And they saw in Isaiah's words a type or a pattern that was repeated in their own time as they struggled with the oppression of the Roman Empire. The earliest Christians saw Isaiah's words as a foreshadowing of Jesus. Mary was the young woman in this case, and Jesus is the child to be born. His birth carries the same promise. Emmanuel, God with us. As I said, we have no evidence that Mary ever called him that, but Matthew alone in this obscure scripture found the promise of who Jesus would be. So calling Jesus Emmanuel is Matthew's way of declaring that Jesus is God's visible sign of the incarnation. But just as Jesus called him Father, and he is named often as the Son of God throughout the book of Matthew. And this is what we mean by incarnation. We believe that Jesus has walked this earth, was born in the flesh just like you and I. And all the things that we experience as a human being, God experienced through Jesus. In Jesus, God experienced temptation, love, anger, joy, fear, friendship, grief, doubt, rejection, the feeling of abandonment from God, and even death itself. Jesus wept. Jesus bled, Jesus died. And that provides for us a profound expression that God knows and understands what we deal with. That is what incarnation is. So what do we do with that big word? It's a doctrine that's rich with understanding. But let me just lift up a few things today. First of all, I'd suggest to you that incarnation declares that God inspires us to live into that fullness ourselves. For me, I find it incredibly motivating and inspiring that God has become one of us. In January, we lost one of our great Christian leaders in the state of Indiana. Retired Bishop Michael Coiner passed away way too young after a brief bout with cancer at the age of 70. Now, I didn't know Michael Coiner uh, before he became our bishop. He came out of the North Conference, Northern Indiana. I was part of the South Conference. And when it was announced that he was our bishop, I must admit that I, along with others from the South Conference, wondered, would he be a fair bishop to us? Would he favor the churches and the pastors in the North? But that concern quickly faded away as soon as I heard Pastor Bishop Michael Coiner preach 
on numerous occasions. Every time he was before us, every message, though it was simple, it profoundly understood the day-to-day struggles that every pastor goes through. I always felt like he got me. He got the challenges that I face as well as the joys that I experience. And he described that so well. He was not somebody that lived up in that ivory tower. He was never anyone that would hold his office over anyone. He always liked being called just Bishop Mike. And he became somebody I would have run through walls through. He was that servant leader that understood our world and lived it every day before us. That's incarnation. Jesus' incarnation also, I think, brings incredible comfort, especially when I pray. Because when I pray to my God, I don't pray to somebody who's in a whole different realm, who can't, who's totally out of touch with what we experience. I pray to a God whose son Jesus walked this earth just like you and I, faced all the challenges that we experience. Jesus had the responsibilities of taking care of a family, We believe that Joseph must have died at a fairly young age. So Jesus had responsibilities. Jesus experienced hunger. He experienced humiliation. And he experienced one of the most cruelest deaths anyone could experience on this life. He's been through far more than most of us will ever face in our life. And how important that is. I've shared before my struggle of trying to be a pastor in these times. I mean, my greatest gift is not my words, believe me. It's just simply the choice to walk into a hospital room. It's that physical presence where I represent the church and represent God's presence when I go into that room. I, I love having that the facial cues and the body language to help connect and communicate with people. Now my hands are tied and all I can do is simply text or send emails or maybe a phone call here and there. And let me tell you, when you have so many in our congregation that are facing so many challenges right now and COVID seems to be spreading and spreading, it's so frustrating not to be able to do more than what I am doing. But I do have a resource We have a resource of people in our congregation who have now survived COVID. And it's been a great privilege to be able to connect those people with one another when you're in those early stages and you're wondering what's going to happen. And now we've got the added advantage that Pastor Paul Ernst, who's on our church staff, has been through it. And now he feels a calling to use that experience, that personal experience, and put it to work. And so he's been sending out emails and trying to connect those who have been through it and inviting them to share their experience. And so he and Kathy Toms have put together this web page called Navigating COVID. It's got some helpful insights that if you come down, these are the things you should be doing right away. They've also got an open letter where if you like to share your feelings and emotions and what you experience, someone else might find those things helpful for their experience as well. It's been great for me when I've connected with people who are battling COVID and when my own daughter, Kelsey, got it, I was able to say, hey, would you pray for her? And knowing that those prayers would be fervent prayers because they know exactly what she's experiencing. That's incarnation. God who's with us and all those things. And the last thought that I'd leave with you about what incarnation means might be the toughest one. Because if we read our scriptures well, we realize that 
as a people who enjoy the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that means we're called to be incarnate that love to others, to be that physical message that brings that good news that God is with them in whatever fashion that we can. Scott McKnight shares a wonderful story in his book, A Community Called Atonement. It's about a woman named Dawn Huzik. She's a nurse, an ER nurse, and she'd been through some tough times in her life. She had a bout with alcoholism. She had some failed relationships. But she'd gotten her life on a better path spiritually. And she describes one evening that she found transforming for her. She came from her church service. They were singing the song, Give Us Hearts as Servants. She had to leave early, even as the congregation was finishing that closing song, because she had to get to the hospital to start her 12-hour shift, the second one in two nights. And weekend shifts in the ER can be brutal. As she walked to the entrance of that hospital, she realized it was going to be a tough night because she could hear the medical helicopter coming and landing. She heard ambulance sirens. That was a sign that it was going to be a busy night. And as soon as she walked into her area of the hospital and came to the nurse's station there, she was told right away, can you please go down and lock down room 15? Lockdown means a psychiatric patient or someone who's combative. And as she looked down the hallway, she saw two security guards standing outside the door, making that even more evident. She went down, and when she walked into the room, the stench was overwhelming. The person that we'll call Norm, just for his confidentiality, had long, natty hair. His feet were swollen, which was causing the smell. They were encrusted feet. They were obviously infected. When she returned to the nurse's station, she got the doctor's orders that required for her to help with a shower and to do a betadine scrub of his feet and to apply non-adherent wraps. The charger said, if you can take care of a shower, I'll find someone else to do the betadine scrub. And so she went down. And as she spent time with this man, she, she just had a growing sense of sadness. And while everyone else was doing everything they could to avoid this person, she felt drawn to him. And so she decided in these 10 minutes, I'm going to treat him like royalty. For 10 minutes of his life, I don't know how he's gotten to where he is right now, but I'm going to treat him like a real person. I'm going to show him the love of Jesus. And so with the help of the guards, she got him into the shower. And while he was taking care of things, she laid out like a five-star hotel, a shampoo and soap. She got a, a, a throne of blankets, warm blankets ready. They've been heated up to return him to. And when he finished his shower, she gently walked him and sat him down. She had told the nurse to decide she'd take care of that scrub of those feet. Her stomach, stomach turned, but her heart was broken to think through what this person has gone through in his life to get to this situation that he's in right now. And so gently as she scrubbed his feet, the nails were black, they were curled over the top of his toes, the skin was rough, broken, and was oozing pus. And tears streamed down her face as she thought through what this person has been through himself. And those guards that once were mocking that man 
were now there ready handing blankets to help assist her in any way that she could. And she saw for one brief moment his eyes cleared and he looked into her eyes and he began to weep and he said quietly, thank you. In that moment, Dawn felt that she was seeing Jesus. He was right there. And she remembered those words from Matthew 25 that read, I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. When you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. This is incarnation at its best. So may we celebrate this Advent season, the incarnate love of God that inspires, that comforts, and challenges us to be that incarnate love to others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the power of the incarnation. That you have come and walked among us and faced the challenges that we've faced and more. And when we pray, we know we pray to someone who truly understands, who knows us better than we know ourselves. We pray that we might be inspired to become that same incarnate love to others, to be your hands and feet in this world in whatever way that we're called. This is our prayer and our hope on this day. Through Christ, who is our Lord, who is your Son. Amen.